Hi everyone, this is Dr. Scott and Matt Barnes. Welcome to the Education Game. How are you doing today, Matt? I am great, man. This weather is fantastic. This is so why you have people... to rub it in. You have to rub it in, don't <laughs> I you? I do. I do. This is why people live yeah. in Houston. Everybody got excited today in Vermont because uh, we're supposed to see the sun tomorrow. How about that? Yes, it's, and it's, it's been a brutal week. It, 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 like literally for four days, we haven't we haven't seen the sun. Mm, it's too bad. So, well, yeah, you know, it'll yeah. come back out in May or June. You'll be fine. Well, tomorrow for they say maybe twenty minutes, we'll see the sun. <laughs> Congratulations! So we're excited about that. Congratulations! Yeah, yeah. You know, another thing I'm excited about is uh, my friend uh, Amy Anderson. Yes, uh, is on the show today and. Uh, You've got so, some cool uh, friends, Scott. You got some cool friends. I do, right? I, I like. I, I can't really figure out why they hang around me, but um, they do. So I think it has something to do with beer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think Amy's a big drinker, though. Oh, really? Well, uh, beer. She's she might That's... be a big drinker, you know, in in other libations, but yeah, yeah. Well, we'll find really out. Seen her? Let's yeah, find out we, during the interview. That can be your first question. <laughs> What's your libation of choice, Amy? Should I bring her in? We just got finished telling Amy that you know our our uh, our our audience are parents. I'm sure they're going to be really they're going to well, be enchanted by this by this first question. Well, let's get into a, a more substantive conversation. How's that, Scott? Shall we? Yes. That's right. We're not we're not going to a- ask you that question, Amy. So this is uh, Amy Anderson from Reschool, Colorado. And uh, Amy and I have known each other for, I don't know, seven years, some, somewhere around there, five, seven years. And uh, I, I first got uh, uh, interested in Amy's ideas uh, because uh, we ended up in, in this group uh, called uh, Schools Out. And uh, it was Amy, myself, Tom Rooney, uh, who's the superintendent of California, a couple of other folks. Uh, and we were the smallest group uh, in, in terms of these, in, in terms of this think process, mm-hmm. because all of us sort of wanted to explore what would happen uh, around learning if school was out, meaning no more school. And little did we know, Amy, Right. Our our big example was a tornado. What, mm-hmm. what what's the what's the equivalent in terms of tornadoes to a worldwide pandemic? Right. <laughs> so so t- tell us just real quickly, what does Re- Reschool Colorado, what, what's that all about? And tell us something about yourself that most people don't know. OK, well, hello, Matt. Hello, Scott. Nice to see you, too. Um, Reschool Colorado is a nonprofit based in Colorado, and um, our mission is to create a more equitable education system that makes learning that happens everywhere fully accessible for all kids. And the reason we talk about learning that happens everywhere is because what we've come to realize over time as we've engaged more deeply with families, which is a lot of what we do at Reschool, is that kids are in school 20% of their waking hours and they're out of school the other 80%. And so our mission has been, what if the education system in which we engage in counted that learning that happens the 100% of the time that kids are learning, no matter where that learning happens. Mm. So that's what Reschool does. 
Uh, in terms of something people that know about me, I'm going to build off of your early conversation just as I was jumping on. Um, I did go to college in Madison, Wisconsin, where there was a lot of beer drinking going on. Oh, my God. Many days, beer was my uh, beverage of choice, but I have since converted to wine. And I'm guessing there's a lot of other moms out there who are drinking a lot of wine right now. So, <laughs> Yeah, and, and Amy, I, I don't know whether we can talk to each other because I went to Iowa and oh. Wisco and Iowa have a big football game this weekend. So we might have to cut this interview just a, a bit short. Well, I would yeah. regret. And I won't even bring my husband in here to hear that part because he, I met him. <laughs> he's even bigger football fan than yeah, I t- am. Tell, uh, tell Amy where you went to grad school, man. Yeah, Minnesota. Ah, wow. But I met my wife in Madison. Oh, wow. February, oh, cool. February 10th, 1995. So, uh, that's a great place in our heart. So, all right. Well, happy to hear. Well, yeah. we have a lot in common. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Well, the next time we have you uh, back, uh, we'll just tell all of our fans that we're going to spend the whole 30 minutes on the podcast talking about the Big Ten. Okay. <laughs> stories associated with the Big Ten. But let's, <laughs> let's get down to uh, serious, serious business. Speaking of reschool Colorado, uh, so a, a, a lot of what Matt and I talk about is not necessarily uh, uh, school uh, learning, but really like family learning, right? So what is learning within families and neighborhoods, whether it involves school or not, right? And uh, so I guess I, I guess the first uh, question that I have is, so reschool Colorado is a very progressive thinking organization. And uh, for the families that are involved with your work right now, um, how do you see family learning happening in, let's say, the next five to 10 years? What do you, what do you think that's going to look like? Are you, are you suggesting like post-COVID because of what we've been through or just in general or kind of a company? Yeah, just, just in general. How, how do your families now, because they've They've worked with you for a while. How are they looking at school? How are they looking at after school? The little, the the younger ones looking at early childhood. What what, what are the parents now thinking? You know, might happen um, in in the next five ten years with with the work. Yeah. So, you know, just to give a little context, um, we run uh, what we call learner advocate networks, and our learner advocates are partners with parents to kind of walk alongside them and build their capacity um, and confidence to navigate the education system with their children. And we offer this service as an employee benefit to two employers in town that are um, hospitals. And so we've been working with family. Some of our families we've been working with now ongoing for the past three years. And we have some other families that just come in and out as they need support. So for the ones who've been working with us long term, um, they came to us initially as kind of, I have an issue or, or challenge that I need to tackle with my kid's school, you know, whether that be school choice or uh, a, my child has special needs or whatever it might be. And so we've started a lot of our work with families around how to better navigate school. And they've become more confident and um, you know capable and excited about that piece of the puzzle. But as we've as we get to know a family and, and as we get to know their children, what is our work is what we what we try to anchor it in more than anything is 
who are your children? What are their aspirations and goals? What are your goals for your children? What are their interests? And and really starting to anchor all learning decisions um, that a family makes around the context of who their children are and what they want and who they want to become. And so our work has shifted more and more, especially as we work with families long term, to not really to be agnostic about where learning happens and to me more about, okay, let's take a look at who your child is in this moment in time and what kinds of experiences they're getting and what are where are the gaps and what and where might we be able to supplement that and, and from what sources. And so that is how I would hope that um, as families move more and more through the, the educational journey, that they're not confining what they think of as education to be just what happens during the time when kids are in school from, you know, nine in the morning until three in the afternoon or whatever that might be. There is valuable learning that happens in that space. And what is that learning? And then how do we enrich that in these other ways? The challenge, of course, is that, you know, well, it's not anything new. Families have been doing this for years, but it's typically been families that have access to transportation, um, money to purchase learning experiences beyond school that have the added benefit of having this having this more enriching experience. And so the, the work that we're trying to do is how do we tackle the system in such a way that we can resource and provide kind of this advocacy type support through publicly funded means that would allow all families to have access to this kind of a, a system, not just those with with resources. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad uh, you, you you talked about that this is nothing new. Uh, Matt and I actually had a, uh, a parent uh, on the show, um, and uh, she started her own micro school. Uh, it's called uh, Black Girl Magic School. I don't know. It was written up in the uh, Houston Chronicle and the New York Times, and the education game actually got the first uh, podcast interview with her. So go figure. You know, we're now in the conversation along with the Houston Chronicle and the New York Times. Yeah, so that's right. Know. Um but uh you know I I told Matt after I you know the, the description that she made her family got a, uh, got together with four other families and they just started this learning uh, uh uh adventure, right? And it's it's awesome. But you know like if if we were we wouldn't be on a Zoom conference in in eight, in the 1820s, but like in the 1820s, this is how learning happened, right? You know, kids didn't necessarily necessarily get sent to their neighborhood schools for teachers and principals to work on teaching and learning with those kids, right? Yeah. Um, now you, you mentioned uh, the funding piece. Um, how, how how is that going in Colorado, right? In in terms of you know, because we all know that a lot of the money. Uh, is I'll, I'll use this word trapped uh, in these school systems, these districts, right? Um, what, what's the work look like so that parents, your parents, might have uh, some advantage to get some of that resource? Yeah, so um, we spent a lot of time thinking about it over the years, and what we came to realize is that it's not politically politically feasible, nor do we think it's the right decision to try to kind of take money from the existing K-12 system to try to resource a more broad, a, a broader education system. So instead, what we started focusing on is let's, let's 
keep, you know, kind of the money for the school part of things within kind of the, the system as it is. And of course, there's a lot of people that are working on how to, how to make best use and ensure that the experience kids have in the school time is, is, um, is important, you know, and that's good work to be done. But instead, we're looking at how do you create supplemental pools of funding that could be used exclusively for this learning that's additive that happens beyond school. And we, uh, we, we put together a broad coalition with some other partners last year, well, this past year, and we were planning to run a ballot initiative in the fall that would have created an out-of-school learning fund that would have been available for um, families from lower-income households to have access to uh, accounts that they could resource learning for their children beyond the walls of school. Um, and it's very popular. People are very excited about this concept. Unfortunately, with the pandemic, we couldn't collect signatures in the way we had hoped to put it on the ballot. And so we are now gearing up again with an even broader, more family-facing coalition to um, either look at a legislative play this session that would provide some relief during this time of a pandemic to supplement remote learning with some kind of resources that families could use and or to also pursue a ballot initiative along the lines of the one we tried to pursue in 2020. So that would have, um, you know, a, a pool of funds that could be upwards of, you know, tens and to, well, up to, it would have been up to $300 million over time in the previous model um, that would be made available every year for families to have these accounts that they could spend on on this learning outside of school. That is um, so very that's cool. one way. Yeah, very cool. Were you going to say something else? No, I was just going to build off of what you were saying about the the friend of yours who you brought on that created the micro school. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, similarly we started hearing early in in COVID about you know the pandemic pods and how parents were coming together and and what what we're even seeing from some of the parents we work with because they're in a hospital setting where they're on the front lines, there's a lot of pressure on individual parents to try to figure all this out, right? Mm-hmm. So people are coming together in collectives. Um, and so we decided that we wanted to see in communities that we weren't hearing from, um, are they coming together in collectives as well? And uh, we put some feelers out through some of our partners um, who have, who work more directly with families in different capacities to say, do you know parents or youth who are coming together right now to keep some continuity of learning over the summer um, as, you know, in response to COVID, but not just to keep some, something engaging going on for yourself or for your children. And, Mm -hmm. and we discovered four different collectives, two that are adult led that are um, parents and then two that were youth led. And they're basically their own variation of what others might call a pod. They don't call themselves that, but we've invested in them. Each of the, each of these collectives received a thousand dollars that they could spend together um, to pursue mm. their learning ideas, and then we um, we resource them for their time to share back with us what they're doing, what they're experiencing, and how what impact it's having on them. And so we're going to run another set of these collectives in, into the new you know semester, um, but it's a way of of bringing people together, um, investing in ideas that are emerging from communities. Um, and and letting them pursue things that are of value and interest to their to themselves. That's very cool. I would love to hear more about your learnings uh, from those kind of organic uh, collectives that are forming. Because again, I I've seen and heard of the same dynamics, um, and we haven't. I mean, that'd be a great interview. I know you guys do some 
some um, podcasts and that sort of thing too, if I recall. So that that's a that's a really interesting conversation. Would love to hear more about that. Yeah, sure. I mean, you want me to share a little bit more right now or at another time? Or... Oh, I mean, I, I, yeah. If you've got information about what you're learning from those organic groups, what are you what are you hearing? Well, I can just. Get, I mean, we're we we run them. We this first group we ran in like a four month cycle that's just wrapping up. But what I can share with you is just what a couple of them chose to do, um, if that would be useful. Um, Please. Okay, so I'll share one of, so we have two high school girl groups, um, basically, that came forth. Um, one of those groups was a, a group of girls who are um, basketball players at a local high school. And they were seeing two things. One, um, their schools with the pandemic were shutting down any kind of actual, like, um, sports that were being offered through the high school and they wanted to keep their, they wanted to keep engaged in basketball over the summer. Mm -hmm. And then they also were finding before the pandemic that girls sports weren't um, receiving as much resources and attention as the boys sports in the high school. And they wanted mm -hmm. to work on that a little bit further and figure out how they could create more equity. Um, and so we, in their investment, um, was used to join the league over the summers because some of the private leagues were actually still playing basketball and they could keep playing. Um, and then they started doing some research with their coach on some equity and advocacy things they could be doing in the fall. Um, and then we had um, another group of youth who were, their fa their families were leaning on them more during this time to have to cook, you know, and kind of prepare, prepare some meals for the family. And they don't have that kind of experience and they're interested in learning more about cooking. And so they use their resources to bring meal kits into the home and they would collectively on Zoom cook together for their families and started looking at nutrition and other things. So those were the youth collectives that the parents, um, both of those groups, wanted to get their kids off of screens. And so through different means, they were investing in either like um, like equipment or other kinds of sports and outdoors things, and then also taking turns in small groups with the kids outside um, to kind of supplement. We're, we're seeing people more supplementing remote learning than actually replacing it all together with a different thing. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. So, Amy... So, so let's just imagine uh, there's a family that comes in to reschool uh, Colorado and says, um, we're really, really unhappy uh, with our school. Uh, we don't think uh, the ki our, our kids are learning uh, nearly at the level that uh, they should. Um, what type of advice? Give, give me like three moves, if you will that those families might want to make um, to sort of improve the, the, the learning quotient, if you will, uh, for their, for their children. Yeah. Well, this is, um, this is where we have the benefit of kind of these learner advocates who can be kind of neutral um, coaches with them, um, but void that. I still think that there are similar kinds of things a parent can do on their own. And so the first thing that, I would say is just try to really dig in deep to what it is that is working for your child right now and what are the big challenges that you're having within this school environment that you're in. And then what are the, the interests and um, goals you have for your child? Um, and I'd start there. And then um, what we would do is, you know, school is still very much a part of the equation for a lot of people. I think another question I would have is, do you know, are you a working parent? 
do you need your child to be in a place during the day while you're at work or not? And, and depending on what the situation is, the options are very different, right? We have some parents who will choose to homeschool or, or do some kind of a flexible mode. Like a lot of private schools will allow kids to attend part-time and parents can do other things with them. But for many, and most of the parents we work with, that's not as much of an option. And so then you take a look at what the options are for your child within the context of your family's needs. And then you know, we would then bring, you know, uh, we would provide information. Um, but there's also websites and other places where parents can go to take a look at what the options are for their school, different different schools or different options for kids. So I'd start there because I feel like, even, you know, while there are some people who are ready to kind of skip the whole schooling thing and just bundle together learning and have a big, a very flexible um, set of experiences for their kids. Most still want school in some some fashion. So you kind of kind of start with a home base of school, and then that works for you. Once that's secure, then I feel like you can build out from there um, and take a look at what are the kinds of things you want to do after school. What does summertime look like? What's the purpose of a summer? How do you do some things together as a family? And um, and and so that that's how our work kind of evolves. You alluded to this earlier, but. Uh, uh... I, I I like the way Matt uh, put it. He, he was in, on an interview uh, panel, I think yesterday, day before, and uh, he pointed out to people that uh, you know we're. I think parents are so intimidated by school, you know, and and that school somehow has you know the uh, the corner on learning time. But if you really think about it, kids are you know most most states require 180 days of of school attendance that leaves 185 days right outside of school right so at least it's a it's a 50 50 proposition right yeah um so you spoke of challenges uh earlier um what do you think is the greatest challenge that your parents face right now in terms of getting their kids to be smarter and stronger uh learners what's What's their what's their biggest challenge? You reschool works with a lot of lot of families and, and a lot of parents. What do you think their mm-hmm. their greatest challenge is? I mean, you know, right now because of the pandemic that we're in, their greatest challenge is juggling everything that's on their plate. You know, they their parents, a lot of whom are working in the medical um, situations, so they're balancing their jobs and and stress and health and safety and being a parent and supporting their kids with remote learning. So, I mean, I realize that this is a unique moment in time, but that those are the challenges a lot of families are facing, which lead me to then this idea of a larger collective and how do we bring together families and communities in ways that they can support each other and in better and different ways. And how do you create resources to invest in those kind of collectives? Um, so that, that is one thing. Um, beyond that, like, you know, moving to the time when we're, we're not as squarely in the middle of this pandemic, um, I think that what the point you just brought up, Scott, is probably the next biggest challenge was that, it, and, and this is the challenge for education system too, is that we try to cram everything that kids should have, need to know, the exp- every experiences they should have into that school time. And it is just nearly, it's impossible. And so parents get frustrated that their kids aren't getting everything they need in that time. Schools are frustrated that everybody's expecting them to do everything and there aren't enough resources. So until people can like look, really gets clear about what's the purpose of school, Hmm. what can school do well? 
Um, and then what else do kids need and how do we make that happen? I think that is when we'll start to see some real shifts. So then that's beautiful. So two things, I mean, just summarizing some of what I've heard already. One is that the idea that there may be additional money, additional, additional public monies that can come into the system to create these supportive structures outside of the school. I think that creates a lot of opportunities. Like schools don't feel like they're under the gun to do everything at all times. And I think that's horribly unfair for us to expect schools to do so. But then it creates these you know, value for other learning opportunities in these 185 non-school days. And so I want you to take a moment and um, kind of imagine with us what education, what school might look like in 2025. Like, just go into the future with us and tell us what that, what you think that actually is going to look like. And, And I want you to dream a little bit on this. What do you think? Well, we've started, I, and we started to build this out in, in, as a resource we've created at Reschool called, uh, a, a, we, it's called a game, but it's more of an, a learning experience that's called Revolve. Um, and you, if you go on the Reschool website um, and put in Revolve, you'll, you'll find it. But the reason we created Revolve was exactly to do what you're describing, which is to imagine what it, it immerse people in an experience where learners are at the center you're navigating a year in the life of that learner um, as they're going through a variety of different learning experiences in a variety of places. And on top of the learning experiences, they're facing challenges in their own family and then their own community. They're seeing opportunities come before them. They have goals, they have challenges, and they have passions. And mm-hmm. all of this wrapped up into the game, right? And so you go through this experience with a group of people, and at the end of the year, you have a collective set of resources that you've gained and experiences. And then we have a learning framework that we designed at Reschool that's based actually on learning sciences and it is anchored in, in a competency-based framework. And you have to then align all those experiences and resources you've gained according to the domains of the framework. And so when I think about schooling in the future, it's not a building or a place or one institution. It's a collective set of experiences, but that you then can, at the end of the day, like count them for something, that they have currency and that you have this place to hold them that you then can share that with others. Hmm. And so that's our vision of what we think is possible. And um, and it's not something we have to wait for. Like the other point of the game is to say, this could happen today if we could just start to value and count everything and have a way for kids to articulate it and share it. Interesting. I love that. Yeah. I'm very good at playing revolve, by the way, Matt. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, now, uh, Amy, Amy yeah. I have not played Amy, but <laughs> I, that that's on my list, you know, cause I'm, I'm not a competitive person. <laughs> So just Amy, this is at reschoolcolorado.org, correct? Yeah, if you go to, actually, you can go to revolvethegame.org, okay. I think it is, yeah. Revolvethegame.org. Yeah. Great. Okay, so Amy, last question. I'm going to flip uh, Matt's question. Um, and uh, what do you think the Denver public school system is going to look like after pandemic? Well, they need a superintendent because <laughs> they've just lost theirs. But beyond Matt, that, Matt, <laughs> Matt, you want to come do that, Jeff? Denver needs a superintendent. <laughs> um, 
I think that there is a strong pull to try to bring the district back to what it was before. Like there's this, you know, desire to just kind of go back to what was. That said, there's a board who's pushing for a lot of things to be different, at least, especially around equity. Um, uh, so that we'll see what happens as that evolves. But in terms of the structure and the way instruction happens and how schools are organized, um, I think there's a strong desire to try to like go back to what was um, by and large. So okay. Matt, uh, you can see now Amy is, actually, is, is a lot smarter than I am. Clearly. Because uh, she's chosen a path. See, I, I just want to go in and just like blow up like schools. Yes, you do. Right. You're, you're, you're doing really poorly with, you know, producing smarter and stronger learners. You can't do it anymore. But Amy, she's focused on those 185 days, right. And what, you know, and so let's build capacity with those days yeah. before we take on the 180. Yeah. I told yeah. you she was, she's, she's smart. Yeah. You sh you should learn from people like her. Scott. <laughs> I, yeah. I, well, yeah. One day. I, someone should. Yeah. One day. Someone should have told me that about 35 years ago. So, um, Amy, but, so Amy, uh, all right. But so let's let me take on that, Scott, because she's now virtually in Houston. I mean, because she's on my screen. Uh, so therefore, you're in Houston. And so how do we uh, take what you've done in Colorado and build something similarly in Houston. I mean, it seems like, you know, the parents we've interacted with, there's an appetite for something so different, particularly in, in these non-school days. Um, how did you how did you end up setting this up? And, and what what uh, ideas do you have for Houston um, uh, to, to replicate? Great. Yeah. And we, you know, interestingly, a lot of our work to date started in kind of small pilots or, you know, prototypes and iterating on that. And we've been doing it now over a number of years and have learned enough about how to scale it, that we're actually going into 2021. And some of the things on deck is to actually create some playbook that will, um, will be made, will be able to make available to others in other parts of the country to take, to learn from what we've done to, um, you know, kind of not have to start from scratch to be able to use some of the resources that we've created in their own context. So, I wanted to just share that that's on deck, but mm. I, I actually think that if you, if you free yourself from the um, trying to fix the current, you know, and I spent 25 years trying to do that. My previous job before this was associate commissioner at the department of ed. So I, I I've tried that and done that and there's tweaks you can make for sure. Um, but bless you, know, you. If, if you bless free yourself you. From that and really like focus on, the time when kids aren't in school, you have a lot more flexibility. Um, you have a lot more entrepreneurial spirit. You have a lot more space to innovate. Uh, that that is where that is where the magic has happened for us. And and the way we came upon that was actually shadowing families and them telling us that their neighbors. This was in Boulder, Colorado. Our initial work that we did early on that these were families living in subsidized housing in the middle of a very wealthy community. And they were nannies and other things, cleaning people for families who were in these spaces all summer where their kids were doing these amazing things. And mm. they wanted to know how they could have access to that world. And that's how it all started. So 
we also lean in some to Clayton Christensen's theories of disruptive innovation, which is you don't tackle the system head on. You actually look for places where there's non-consumers and under-consumers of something that they want. And that's where this space was. And so that's also been kind of an underlying um, driver of our work. Very cool. So there she, there she goes again, Scott, giving- I, uh, need, to, I need to read that book again. Yeah, just to, just to remind, because because that's right that 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 was uh, Clay Christensen's theory, right? Yeah, yep. you don't uh, you don't take on the uh, the four hundred pound elephant all by yourself. Yeah, well, so so what's next for Reschool Colorado, Amy? What's what's your next big bite out of the elephant? Well, our, you know, our next big one is actually we've had a lot of people coming to us during this pandemic wanting to learn from what we've done and wanting to figure out how they can embed similar kinds of structures or concepts or resources in their community. And so I'm feeling this strong pull to try to or take what we've learned, as I shared, and make that more available to others. And so that's that's a big part of my focus right now heading into the new year. Other than that, um, we... We had a resource that we ran for three years called Blueprint for Summer, which was a website that we licensed from an organization out of St. Louis that gave parents a chance to enter in a bunch of search criteria to pull up all of the learning experiences in the summer that matched their needs. And it was, it's been awesome. But with COVID, we've seen that we need something that goes year round. We need something that's not just place-based, but includes um resources you can use in your home or virtual experiences. And so we're revamping the whole Reschool website right now and embedding a new learning discovery tool into that as a um, another place where families can get information about learning that happens everywhere that aligns with their needs. Um, so that's a big on the horizon too. I mean, like I said earlier on, our mission is to make this system more equitable, more expansive and, um, and ensure all kids can, can, engage with it. And um, so that's kind of what we run everything we do through that lens. Well, let me just say on air, uh, Amy, that I am in my attic and over on this side of the attic, there's plenty of room. If you want to move down and start work here in Houston, start your expansion site, you have access to space. Awesome. It's very, it's very nice space, partially air conditioned in the summer. It's perfect. Sounds cool. There's only one problem, Matt. What's that? There's no skiing in Houston. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can do. We can work on that too. We'll work on that too. Uh, this well, has been great. Yeah, it has. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks so much for the time and uh, best of luck uh, with uh, not only uh, your work in 2021, mm -hmm. which I've got to think is going to be an easier year for everyone. Mm -hmm. Like fingers mm -hmm. crossed. Uh, yeah. But also, I cannot wait. Uh, well, you know, this legislation is huge. Uh, I, I, I think if you can land that, um, you know, your speaker uh, circuit is going to be filled up, you know, wanting to know how you got this thing done. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm just so excited to see what Reschool Colorado does uh, over the next uh, five years uh, or so uh, with your leadership. Um, and thank you so, so much for being uh, being with us today. Well, thank you. It was fun. It's good All to right. see you too. Go get some wine. We're going to get some beer at some point. So we'll talk to you. Talk That's to you another good. time. Have a great night. Thanks. Thanks, Amy. Bye. Very, very cool. You've got some cool, cool friends, Scott. I don't know how you do this. It's like, 
people like yeah, I, 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 I just want to like let every, you know, the five people that have listened to all of the podcasts, I want you to start making a list yeah. of Matt's guests and my guests. Oh, we're gonna have a competition. And, and then let's just see, let's just see. Ooh, I like that. Who invites the better guests? I like that. Let's 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 do that. Let's formalize that. We'll put that on the website. All right, that's a good idea. So, Scott, is there any way um, that Vermont or Houston or Texas could find new money to do some of what she described? And and if so, is is that a uh, is that a strategy that uh, that's got some play here outside of outside of Colorado? Yeah, you know, I should have asked uh, Amy where uh, they want that three hundred million dollars uh, to come from. Hmm. Um, it's got to be additive. Maybe it's maybe it's uh, the, yeah the revenues maybe. revenues from uh, pot. Maybe <laughs> you know, it's Colorado. I know. Um, and the same thing could happen in Vermont. Well, it's with true. pot. Yeah. Um, not so much, uh, in Texas where you are, Matt. No, no. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, even if it's, let's, let's just put it this way. If, if state legislatures really wanted to take a look at those 185 days, you know, because most of those 185 days, Matt, uh, are, uh, are, are handled by, uh, faith-based, mm-hmm. um, after school, yeah. uh, summer camps. Right. Um, but if state legislatures wanted to, let's say, take a look at a specific school population and, um, uh, move some of the money from the education fund, just for an action research project, a little pilot project, if you will, to take a look at how families might use that money hmm. as supplement, hmm. you know, beyond the 180 days. Yeah. Um, yeah. All, all, all state legislatures could do that. Yeah. Um, there's enough money there. It's just a matter of priorities. And for whatever reason, uh, school districts have not seen these 185 days as necessarily a priority of theirs. Well, parents do. They complain. They complain about summer slide. But, you know, other than kids who don't do well during the 180 days, uh, they don't have too many programs for those other kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, parents are sure hungry for something more. So, all right. Very cool. Thank you for bringing her on, Scott. That was good stuff. Well, we want to thank uh, everyone for uh, tuning in. Uh, Amy Anderson was uh, was great. Uh, He's Matt. I'm Dr. Scott. Uh, if you want to know more about the work of uh, the Education Game, to go to theeducationgame.com. Uh, we've got some uh, interesting podcasts and blogs, uh, and uh, we've got a uh, pilot project running right now called the Promise and the Plan. Uh, we are right in the middle of uh, working through that, and uh, we will see you soon. Take care.